0: Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on TWIP, Canon 5D firmware goes open source... The evolution of Photoshop and guest host Sarah France joins us from SoCal. All that and more on episode number 96 of This Week in Photography. And welcome back to another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. This is an exciting show because we've got a uh, one of our hosts back that hasn't been on the show for... Quite a while because he's been doing stuff like a real job and <laughs> all that fun stuff. <laughs> Mr. Ron Brinkman has returned. Hey, Ron. Hello. This is my first video show, you know. That's right. This is your first video show, so people can see what you look <laughs> like now. Is my hair okay?
1: <laughs> am, I, am I looking all right? You know, nice thing you know about this. this you,
0: stuff, you play the curmudgeon on the show, but for some reason you look nothing like John Dvorak. Could, awesome. Can I try
1: scowling more? Yeah, you got to scowl more, and uh, you know, be more non-conformist. You know, the thing I like about my setup here right now, too, is I got this really bright light behind me coming in the sun. So if I really want everything to go dark, I can just move out of the way. Yeah, there you go. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about a high dynamic
0: range. You can, <laughs> yeah, and how we really need that kind of technology in webcams. Yeah. And also on the show uh, is a very good friend of mine, Sarah France, from down somewhere in Southern California. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. Let's uh, For the people who don't know you, uh, which might be a lot of the TWIP audience, can you uh, tell us who you are and what you do?
2: Yeah. I'm a San Diego-based wedding photographer, and um, I travel all over the country and all over the world shooting weddings, most mostly.
0: That's it? You do other stuff <laughs> well, too, don't okay. you? Well,
2: <laughs> okay. I'm also the owner of a bag company called Gobi Bags. Uh, we do high-end CF card holders, uh, leather really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have a lot of activities. We just had an aperture DVD training. I'm a sponsored Aperture spokesperson, and we just released an Aperture DVD training that's shipping later on this week.
0: Very cool. So yeah. so because you you are our owner of a bag company, we can officially call you a bag lady.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that name proudly. <laughs> Thank
0: you. You should register that on Twitter, Sarah <laughs> France, a.k.a. the bag lady. Yeah. So you're, like- you're very involved with Aperture and you, uh, you do a lot of training on that. Like you were just saying, you released a DVD, a training DVD on it last week. Um, just talk a little bit about, you know, the, what, what's in that DVD and, and how you go about training folks.
2: So basically there is three plus hours of intense training in the DVD and we go over everything I can possibly think of that we need to go over. So an intro to the site, we go over importing, adjusting, exporting, but we go over a lot of my favorite things that are kind of the little hidden gems, I feel like, things that people don't realize that can make their life a lot easier and how Apple really integrates the product into um, the rest of the applications and into your iLife, if you will. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah.
0: All right. uh, We're going to take a quick second here to uh, give a nod to our sponsor, who is Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment for free audio book of your choice, head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip, T-W-I-P. And on in the news today, uh, we've got a couple of things to talk about. Uh, There's an interesting site called the Evolution of Photoshop from 1988 to 2009. And kind of taking a look at... The, the, the different phases and what was added to the, the application that all of us use for, uh, for that, that period of time. Ron Brinkman, have you had a chance to look at that site? And uh, what do you think of it?
1: You know, I, uh, I have not had a chance to look at that because the link that's provided in the wiki was broken when I tried it. But now it's working. So I'm going to look at it real quick. <laughs> oh, it's working now. It didn't work before? You know, it's, it's interesting because sort of, I played with Photoshop Really, really early on, and then I didn't use it for years and years and years. I was sort of you know in the, in the film industry world where I had very expensive pieces of software that would do uh, uh, similar sort of functionality, only cost you know 10 times or 100 times as much, uh, and really only sort of got back into doing a lot of Photoshop work within the last couple of years. So I sort of missed all that intermediate stuff. It's kind of fun to see where it's gone.
0: Now, when you were in the beginning, you know not the beginning, 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 but when you first started making the transition from uh sort of analog or non digital over into the digital world what what was the one thing that sort of pushed you over that said, "Hey, this could
1: actually be a viable way of doing my work um well for me it was <laughs> it really was a lot more film stuff then uh, film as in motion picture film rather than uh, photography still photography right sort of got exposed to all of this and it was very much in that transition phase where same sort of scenario though you know we, we were still shooting every shooting all these films on actual film and then scanning it in digitally and then doing all the digital magic on top of it and it was you know, I came in right when that was starting to happen, and there was still some optical compositing, if you will, going on, but it was for the most part we were just making up all the rules about what you could do in digital, and, and Photoshop was effectively evolving at the same time. The still photography tools were evolving at the same time.
0: Yeah. You remember the days of uh, trying to save every iteration of your file with a different file name so you could step back in time? Uh, and, you know, I still have that
1: habit in, <laughs> in a lot of situations. <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you, I you still, still yeah, don't trust I don't. the software, right? Huh? Nope, not
0: at all. Sarah, do you remember? Uh, your, what was the point in time where you decided? Hey, you know, it's uh, I'm I'm jumping into Photoshop, or or have since you've been in photography? Have you always been sort of uh, in in the Photoshop world?
2: Well, I started in film for sure, but I never really went into the whole developing your film yourself or anything like that. We went into digital pretty quickly. So um, within a couple of years, we were using Photoshop and um, adjusting the images and really making that transition and jump to digital. So I think it happened pretty quickly for us.
0: Yeah. So and now, of course, Photoshop and and Aperture are integral to your workflow. What other applications applications are you using uh, in your everyday life that, that are image related aside from Aperture or Photoshop?
2: You know, there really aren't many more that you need. I mean, I think consistently we're trying to take those images that we adjust in either Photoshop or Aperture or both and um, get those out to the world. So everything else is just really a portal for getting the images from your computer out to everyone else.
0: Okay. And Ron, uh, I know you're not shooting a, a whole lot these days, but what, when you do shoot, are you using anything outside of, you know, I'm not sure what you're using now for your image process, your, your digital asset management, whether it's Lightroom or Aperture, but beyond either one of those and Photoshop, what are you using?
1: Those are, you know, clearly the the primary ones, uh, mostly aperture. I, I, I generally don't even need to go into Photoshop very often either. Uh, there's a bunch of little tiny things that I'll do for special case stuff if I want to be doing, uh, you know, panoramic stitching or HDR or something like that. There's still uh, this uh, Shake compositing software that I was involved with the development of that is a, you know, real geek heaven kind of image processing tool. Yeah. Uh, and since I know, you know, since I basically designed a large chunk of it, uh, it's my, my now, comfort zone for weird things now shake that that brings up a good point
0: so you know on the show a lot we talk about the convergence of video and digital i'm not going to go in and beat that horse anymore but in terms of uh what Flickr was calling uh i forget what the name that they, that they called it but essentially when you take images that are uh motion so for example, instead of taking a picture of a wheat field, you'd take a short video, 90 seconds or less of a wheat field, and show the, le- the the wheat blowing in the wind just static with your camera on a tripod for that period of time. Now, Ron, do you see a point in time where photographers will start doing other things with images, like for example, uh, using software like Shake or After Effects or something like that to create montages or composites? Or do you think that's... Uh, that's pushing it too far
1: yeah i absolutely do i think that there's that middle ground is there's not going to be such a hard line between this is a still photo versus this is a, a video you know i think that there's going to be a very inter a very blurred intermediate point where you know you may have a photo but you want to put it into a montage or you may want to shoot a short piece of video or you may do uh... you know any number of effects that are kind of halfway between it and that includes audio, you know audible stuff too, uh, having music tracks that go with it uh it's just that i think generally this this the, the method of delivery is changing so much to the web that you won't you know the the sense of what you get in a print magazine if it's you know there it is and it's not moving it's just going to go away more and more and, it, and everything's going to be on the web and at that point people are going to expect to have something something moving a lot of times so yeah i just think there's going to be a big continuum there rather than this you know it's either a still photo or it's video i think there's this tremendous range in between
0: sarah France, is print is print dead <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a good question I mean for a lot of my clients um, it's not but it just depends on how you want to enjoy an image I mean one of the things we just added to our packages and our options was um Apple TV so having your images loaded on Apple t- TV and delivered to you and installed in your house so people are really changing the way that they enjoy images and and um, it's not currently dead. Every one of my clients still wants an album. Uh, they really love that image that they can touch and feel and that will never go away. And there's always that insecurity that a digital image can disappear. There's hard drive failures and all sorts of other issues. So the print image is still really important currently. Who knows uh, what it's going to hold in the future, though? You
0: know, for for your genre of photography, do you do you see a point in the future where people won't even want a a dead tree version of their album. They'll just want everything online where they can share it with friends and family on Facebook or whatever the social networking site du jour is at the time.
2: I, I definitely see that. I see that coming down the road that, um, they may just want to enjoy their images in a, in a different way. That's, that's not print format. And, um, I think that's going to change a lot in the next few years, and and we'll see that shift we already have. Everybody wants their digital files. Um, that's for the first thing, for sure. They want to enjoy them on their computer and be able to share them in any way that they want. And photographers have to be able to move and adjust with that. Um, and they already have in the last few years. You've seen a big shift.
0: Ron, what do you think about that? Do you think we'll see a shift in the way people consume photography more so than we've seen to date in terms of you know right now it's sort of romantic that um hey look there's it's almost like a like a handwritten letter when you get a a printed photograph these days because we're so accustomed to looking at prints online or images online that do you think the shift is going to complete and you know it'll getting something printed will be unless it's a wedding album or something will be analogous to getting a handwritten letter
1: yeah uh, yeah I think they it's sort of going to have a retro feel to it at some point i mean even the photos you hang on your wall at some point those you know l c d displays and picture frames are going to be you know so cheap that you'll you'll just have art hanging on your wall that may be photo albums that cycle through you know it's not immediately around the corner, but within another five ten years, yeah, I think that the printed medium is going to be a a, a strange thing for a lot of people
0: though no, you know but what if you factor into that the whole you know depending on how how you come at the problem the whole energy crisis and and power consumption it's much cheaper to power a eight and a half by 11 print or eight by 10 print than it is an lcd that's hanging on your wall um yeah it takes more effort to change it out but you know it's easier to power what do you think about that
1: I, I suppose that if there is a complete breakdown in the world's infrastructure and we descend into anarchy and chaos and the apocalypse happens, <laughs> then yes, there probably uh, will be more print showing up again. Yeah. Maybe.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I, don't, I mean, I like in in my house, I mean, I would love to have every frame that's hanging be an LCD, but. Uh, ex- you know, what's holding me back, of course, which may go away in the future, um, is expense and sure, but, I mean, cabling that, you know, and all this other crap.
1: You know, yeah, but I mean, like I said, you know, it's not immediate on the corner. But ten years from now, I can totally see a world where you know a a large size, as large as a you know decent TV is these days, uh, LCD like display that sits in your wall and has a wireless uh, communication device in it and, and easy access to power and uh, you know, and, and something like that that's I don't know, twenty, thirty, fifty bucks, something like that. Why you know, why would you even bother with a piece of frame guard that costs as much?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. If they came down to that level and it was a no brainer and I could just go, you know, buy something for the price of buying a target frame or a uh, crate and barrel frame or something, yeah, then I'd definitely throw it up there. But you know, I'm just trying to get a bigger TV for the living room right now. <laughs> <Just a matter laughs> Sarah, of time. Sarah, you're you're kind of doing that uh, in your studio, right? Don't you? Aren't you presenting to your clients on LCD that you have on the wall?
2: Yeah. So we actually connect through an Apple TV, so it is wireless. And um, all the cables run back through the wall. uh, And I can select any wedding that I've shot or any event that I've shot in the last few years to show the client. So I really have them come in. I determine who they are and what they're going to be most likely to be driven towards when it comes to, like, what weddings I've shot. And then I show them that. So it's, it's really amazing already how I love to enjoy the images that way. So I definitely can see it. I'm going that way, but I can't help but think about the print I have in in the house of of my grandmother or um the images and prints that I have that I really value that, you know, are I have as memories. I I kind of have a hard time seeing that totally going away.
1: Yeah, that's uh yeah, I don't but, know. But, but the, even those, you know, it, right now they, they sit in a drawer somewhere, right? Or or some of them you have on the wall, but there's tons of them that probably are not looked at on a regular basis. And doesn't, I mean, for me, that's what I find is that part of the joy, you know, that that the, I have more fun with photography these days because the images that I capture end up being more accessible, even, even just to me, you know, my screensaver pops them up and puts them on there, and I, I think that, Ultimately, it, it tends to rescue some of these things from obscurity and puts it back out. Know, I went through and tossed all of my negatives in a box and sent them off to to a place to get them scanned in, so that all of these images from way back when uh, are now coming back. And again, they would have just sat in a drawer prior to this.
0: Yeah, and that you, that place you're referring to was uh, Scan Cafe, right? That's who I used. Yeah, yeah. And just just quickly, how did that work for you? Because I'm I'm right in the process. I'm literally right in the middle. Of having some negative scanned some negatives and slides scanned by them and sent back, I haven't got the originals back yet, and i'm uh, I'm planning on writing a quick blog post on how the experience was overall I'm, I'm curious to you know I know you mentioned before, Ron, but how how was your experience overall, and did you see any holes in their process?
1: Yeah, well, it's actually a good time to bring it up because I, I did my finish my third batch through them. Uh, and this one had a couple of little minor glitches uh, no big deal i got all the negatives back and and everything you know the process is you you box everything up and just pretty much as as quickly as you want you know you can toss them into individual envelopes or whatever but uh at some level if all you want to do is just toss them all into a single big box and ship them off then that's fine they go through and Scan them individually. I think the price has gone up a little bit from when I first did it to about a twenty-five cents or so per negative. Yeah, and uh, and in the process, the way it works is that you know they certify everything. They actually send it overseas to be scanned, but they uh, claim you know that there really hasn't been any problems. And I certainly have any problems with uh, stuff getting lost or damaged. Get scanned in. They put it all online where you can kind of go through and review it, and you can choose which ones you want to pay for or not pay for, up to half of what you sent off. That's where the hiccup came with me last time is uh, the website isn't great for doing a lot of uh, stuff it's just very time consuming to go through it uh, and then the first batch they sent back to me they'd actually sent me something other than what i had uh, specified as wanting scanned they'd actually scanned everything but they they just sort of messed up when they burned the dvd to send to me mm-hmm. and you know i just you know got back in touch with customer service told them there was an issue and they acknowledged it and went through and and sent out the, the appropriate stuff. So there was no problem other than it just took a little bit longer. And it took me a little while to realize it. So I would say, you know, when you get your scans back, just double check. It's the ones you think you uh, you selected out of all of them. But other than that, you know, it's been great. You and know.
0: H- what's, the, what's the time frame from the time that you drop your images, the box off at UPS, to the time that you actually get the physical optical disk back in the mail? Slow. Uh,
1: three months, maybe. Uh, yeah, oh, see, yeah, that's, that's
0: what got me wrong because i'm yeah. Yeah, maybe i'm just a product of the, <laughs> the current generation and i just want everything right now but three months seems like a long long time to wait for a scan you know when and when i can yeah. run up to like you know the the wolf camera or something if they're still open you know to any <laughs> place like that and have it scanned within an hour sure i mean what what's uh, and, the difference oh. what am i getting is it a higher quality scan are they
1: retouching or what uh, it is a high-quality scan. They use a very good Nikon scanner. Uh, it's high-resolution. They do uh, have some hand-touching on everything, so they will remove. They, they run a uh, algorithmic dirt removal pass, uh, and they also do some hand-touch-up uh, where it's appropriate in certain cases. They do a color balancing. Uh, again, you can get that done at a local service as well, but I don't think you'd get it done at the price point that they're offering. Uh, and, you know, the bulk of it, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what it would... Cost and how long it would take if you showed up with you know a, a thousand negatives yeah. at the, the local store, which is what I'm talking here. You know, I'm talking uh, a few thousand negatives that I got scanned in this last batch, and uh, you know, so yeah, it depends on what you're looking for. If it's you've got a single image that you really just want to scan for right away, no, be, it, it wouldn't make sense to send it off. But for me, this was really about I want to get all of my old stuff online, and this this most recent batch was all of my sister's old negatives that were laying around. Uh, and I just, you know, got it for her as a gift of, you know, here, I'm going to scan in all these pictures that you have just, again, sitting in a closet, not, uh, not being looked at because they're inconvenient. Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly where I am right now. I've, uh, I've got boxes and boxes, literally, of sheets of slides that uh, that I shot when I was active duty in the military that are just sort of just sitting there. And I was going through the boxes, and I, I found this sheet... Uh, that I really wanted to have digital, that I wanted to put on Flickr or whatever, and uh, so I decided, hey, Scan Cafe, because I heard Ron Brinkman mention it on this This Week in Photography podcast. <laughs> so take I it. sent I sent them off, and uh, you know I'm like, I got cobwebs growing on me, waiting on these things to uh, come it, back. It, it,
1: there, yeah, it does take a while. I assume that you know I'm sure they have a large volume going on there, but uh, eventually it, it does it does get there. It shows up, and so far I haven't any problem. You know, is that I mean, the scary part, of course, is you are sending your negatives off, and who knows, right? I mean, there's certainly something could happen, but then again, you know, your house could burn down too. So yeah, you know, it's kind of it's a chance. Scott, uh, I think Scott Bourne, sort of fair disclosure, I think Scott Bourne actually uh, sits on the board of Scam Cafe as well.
0: Yeah, I wonder if he gets his stuff back any faster. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, quickly, I want to give a nod to our sponsor again, Audible. Uh, they're uh, they're of course. brought to you by them. They're the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. They've got over 50,000 titles to choose from or be downloaded and played back from anywhere on your device of choice. Um, I've got a couple of things that I'm listening to uh, right now. And I think I mentioned this a week ago. Ron, uh, have you heard of this book called Younger Next
1: Year? I think I think you did actually mention it. I haven't. uh, I didn't look into it, but I think. So I'm uh, still I'm
0: still in the middle of that book, and uh, I'm already younger. Just so you you know, (laughs) you you look good. I mean, you look younger. You know, I'm getting younger (laughs) every day. Pretty soon, I'm like Benjamin Button. Uh, (laughs) What, uh, Sarah? Have you heard of Audible.com?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. I've used them for a lot of the books. I'm not really great about. Sitting down and reading. I'm kind of a little ADD for that, but I do love listening to books, so Audible's huge for that.
0: Excellent. And uh, Ron, are you listening to anything at the moment? I, I just
1: finished something. I, I'm not, it's a strange, well, I don't know if it's strange. Uh, there's a, an author called Ursula Le Guin, science fiction fantasy kind of stuff, although she oh. just wrote, this is, this is going to sound really. Uh, Really geeky, or or, or really uh, intellectual, but she just did a uh, a book that's sort of a retelling of uh, Virgil's Aeneid, uh, you know, classical uh, Roman literature, I guess, and. Uh, but it's a very—it's just a really well-written book, and I just finished that. So I'm sort of—it's not quite the Spartans. I don't think it's uh, quite to the the level of uh, gore and violence. But what kind, of, what kind ri- of science
0: fiction is it? Is it like fantasy type it, stuff, th- this or is, is this it- what I would
1: characterize it as more—it's really historical fiction because there's nothing in there that's really fantasy, other than the sense of you know it's in a time period when um, people did uh, pay attention to sort of visions and and you know dream and things like that and consulting the oracle and all that and so there's it does sort of straddle this line between um you know what what is really real or not so it's almost like magical realism i guess i'd call it beautifully written though it, it sounds, really w-
0: it sounds very much like the matrix i don't know no
1: it's <laughs> absolutely nothing like the matrix <laughs> <laughs> maybe it, the matrix was based on it i don't know <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you're into, uh, you know, uh, Greek mythology or Roman mythology kind of thing, it's uh, it's a very well-written, very nice book and really well-read. So that's my go. recommendation.
0: Now, now, Sarah, real quick, uh, just looping back to the last topic, I wanted to, to find out about your the way that you archive stuff. You mentioned at the beginning of the show... <clears throat> Excuse me, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that you used to shoot film. Now, is all that stuff still on film, or have you digitized it and brought it into your Aperture library, or what's going on there?
2: Well, we were digitizing it when we were shooting it, so <laughs> 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 it was like immediately it be, there had to be a way to deliver them. So I've been using Pictage for. Years, I don't know, eight years probably. Mm -hmm. And um, they've always scanned my film. uh, So I actually have everything already archived on Pictage. And then um, a couple years ago, we went through the process of getting those downloads from Pictage, backing them up on our own servers, and um, bringing them into Apture if we felt like we needed to access the images. But a lot of times, our weddings have their albums and, uh, and don't come back around. We can still access the images on Pictage. So we mostly just took them out and archived them on the server.
1: Very cool. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's move on to <clears throat> a couple more points in the news today. Um, this one's really interesting and I'm really interested to get, uh, both of your, your opinions on this one. Uh, that uh, gentleman introduced some firmware for the Canon 5D Mark II uh open source firmware that exposes a bunch of new controls in the software now there were some i think the same folks released uh some open source firmware for other Canon models like the the G9 exposing a bunch of different controls in there but my question is both from a uh avid amateur photographer, Ron, who doesn't make a living at photography, would you install this software? I'm going to ask the same thing to Sarah, who makes a living in photography, would you install uh, open source firmware on your 5D Mark II?
1: So, Ron? Okay. Uh, Yeah, I probably would. I mean, the thing with all of this is I would want to read somewhere what the, the fallback plan is. I would want to see somebody having said Oh, it did something or I didn't like it, but it was extremely easy to to back it out of the system. Uh, I'd have to sort of have that kind of confidence level that there was some way to do it. But having said that, I mean, you know, I've always been a proponent for manufacturers need to open up these cameras, make it so that you can run you know, effectively run applications or modify the firmware on on the camera. And you know, this is this is some very cool stuff. If I'm you know, a lot of it seems to be it's it's more related to in this particular case related to the. The video side of things so that includes audio meters and, and cool stuff like that but yeah, yeah I, I probably would you know I certainly wouldn't do it the day before I headed off on a long trip or or was about to go on a important photo shoot I would definitely make very sure that it was stable and reliable and I had enough time to deal with it Yeah, but yeah, what's, what's
0: in this update Ron?
1: oh why don't you ask uh, Sarah to give her take on the question <laughs> while <horizon>. you look <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I remember. The only thing I remember. First of all, was just the uh, the audio meters. But uh, go ahead. Sarah. Okay, go ahead, Sarah. Well, as a professional, would
0: you uh, <laughs> would you use open source software on your brand new 5D Mark II?
2: Right. Yeah. Kind of scaring me right now. Well, <laughs> I think um, as long as the 5D Mark II is still the backup camera. Um, then I wouldn't have any problem running it. I mean, I've shot on 5Ds for a couple years now, and and love those cameras. So the 5D Mark II is just a new toy as it is, and has like all sorts of cool new things to check out. So um, I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind installing it, but I definitely would not be installing it unless I really really needed it. Or really wanted to play with its with the things that it had because there's so much already available on the 5D Mark II um, to learn and explore and there's no really any reason to add to that set quite yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. From my my standpoint, I think uh, you can blame it on Apple that I would never update the firmware with somebody's unauthorized software on my expensive piece of hardware because of remember remember the iPhone fiasco when when people were jailbreaking their iPhones and some of them ended up with bricked iPhones because you know of course Apple's going to update their software and whatever happened in the mix some people ended up with non-functional iPhones i had jail uh, jailbroken jailbreaked however you say it my iphone uh, so I was on pins and needles installing the update, thinking, alright oh, I'm going to brick this thing that I waited in line for forever." Uh, but it didn't brick. But after that, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to uh, stick to whatever the manufacturer recommends. That way, if the thing breaks, then I can go back to the manufacturer and say, "Hey, guess what? Your stuff broke. Give me a new one."
1: So, no, there there is that. I it, it sort of it is a little different. Scenario, too, though, in the sense that the iPhone, a lot of the jailbreaking uh, was, was done to, as, in conjunction with unlocking, so actually changing the carrier that you supported. And I think uh, Apple has a little bit more incentive to not make that happen, whereas I think some of this stuff, uh, from Canon's perspective, is really extending the capabilities. I don't think that they would actively go through and try to do something that would uh, you know, lock up the camera based on that. Uh, just I, I, I do have the sort of feature list for this thing. It's called Magic Lantern. If you want if people want to look into this, they can just Google probably Magic Lantern Canon or or 5D. Uh, it has these on-screen audio meters. It's all it's all related to video shooting. It has on-screen audio meters. Uh, you can disable the automatic gain control, the sort of exposure control that happens when you're shooting, uh, and in fact turn on manual gain control. Um, it has. The ability to put crop marks onto the display so that you can see the framing. Even though you're you're capturing video for the aspect ratio of your sensor, you may plan to later crop it to get a widescreen aspect ratio or something. And so it has the ability to superimpose those on there. That's a real common video thing so you you know what you're getting uh, when you eventually do the crop. Uh, and then it has support for zebra stripes, which is uh, a, usually a video thing. Uh, Although people in Photoshop are probably familiar with it too, or Aperture even, uh, where it shows what is peaking, what's going above white, uh, and and clipping beyond the range range of the sensor, so you can adjust space for that. So it's yeah a neat set of tools actually.
0: Yeah, did you did you see Alex's video? He put a little uh, a video online at Pixelcore, I think it was, uh, showing. Yeah, I think he had just got an iPhone, the new iPhone 3GS, and he put, the, put it on this gigantic on m- yeah. mount with all his other crazy stuff on it. Did you see that? Yep. Yeah. So that that Thinking of this firmware was making me think of that for some reason in terms of, you know, that's a lot of stuff in there. I could see, I haven't, I haven't actually shot with, I've held one, but I haven't shot with the 5D Mark II, and I know the video from it, from looking at Vincent LaFerre's video and other people's, that it's stunning, but it just seems like... You know, if you're you're doing all that specifically, and you want to shoot video, that you'd shoot with a video camera. I mean, if you've got if you've got all this rigging around a device uh, because it can now do this thing, why not use something that was designed to do that from the beginning? I don't know.
1: I don't know. It's- uh, well, it's uh, we, we probably don't want to go down this route too yeah. much, but I will say that it it, it is. There are very good reasons purely from uh, an image quality perspective to do this relative to any video solution that costs anywhere near the same amount uh large oh, right. you know, large sensor inside of there low light sensitivity, the ability to put interchangeable lenses on there uh to get the equivalent i mean you can't even get the equivalent in any kind of similar price point uh if you're considering that large sensor in particular
0: yeah yeah i uh I guess I need to get one of those cameras that I can. Actually, know what I'm talking about when I talk about that particular camera body, <laughs> Sarah. You're you're shooting with the 5D, right? Yes. The 5D Mark II.
2: Um, I'm still shooting with the 5D, playing around with the 5D Mark II a little still.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha.
2: Waiting to integrate it when it has the full when I fully understand and and want to make that shift. I mean, the integration of video is is a huge thing, and we're just trying to figure out the right approach for it.
0: Yeah. Yep. Cool. We'll talk about that on a, on a subsequent show. We've beaten that horse into it's it's kind of unrecognizable now. So <laughs> we're not going to talk about video uh, for the foreseeable future until something big comes out. Yeah, but, sure. But what I do want to talk about is the listener poll. So we've got a listener poll on twiplog.com that you guys can check out. Um, Aaron is still... Working out the system, he says, I have in the notes here, they said he's, he's reworking the system. So uh, you look forward to some interesting developments there. But we do have another a new listener poll this week um, from a uh, listener that goes by the name of Dave Kyle. And his poll is, other than vacation, how far will you travel for your own personal photo endeavors? And the possible answers are less than a mile. If I can see it from the couch, I'll shoot it. Less than 10 miles, uh, I stick around town. Less than 60 miles, I'll make a day of it. And greater than 60 miles, pack the bags. We're getting serious. So head over to twiplog.com and click click one of your answers, vote yes, and let us know what you think. And we'll announce the the results of that poll in the next show. Right now, we're going to jump over to some listener questions and... The first question I'm going to give to Ron Brinkman, because he hasn't been on the show in forever, and I'm going to let him read it's it. It's only been <laughs> like three weeks, by the way. <laughs> That's forever at in internet time, man. But I'm going to let you read it, too. Go ahead, Ron.
1: All right. This comes from listener Phil Scordis. it looks like. Yep. It says, a colleague of mine is traveling to China soon to see the eclipse. That's pretty cool. Uh, he's looking for software to control his Canon DSLRs, a 5D Mark II and a 1D. Now, there appear to be a number of options, however, we've not been able to find any that allow scripting fine control in order to set a specific flow of commands at time-based intervals. Uh, what we are interested in is setting up one camera to take a pre-programmed set of exposures with control of shutter speed, aperture, et cetera. Over the time of the eclipse, then this would allow it to be more creative with the other camera. Any ideas? I know Alex has talked about tethered shooting before. Yeah, I don't. I don't know of a solution that has full-on heavy-duty scripting in the sense of being able to write uh, something that would have different loops based on clock timing and all that kind of thing. I, it's been a while since I've shot or used the Canon-based uh, tethered shooting solution, and I don't remember if it has anything like that in there. It seems like last time I used it, it didn't. So you're probably just going to have to deal with something that gives you a little less control, but probably still what you need uh, which is either the tethered shooting, which I know is just regular time-lapse stuff, or just one of those uh, remote triggers that lets you do it. Uh, the uh, what's the brand or the product number? I think it's the yeah the Canon TC80N or 80N3. It looks like it's the latest one. Uh, is a remote shutter trigger, but it includes a timer as part of it. And I've used that uh, for time-lapse stuff in the past. You can set up I want to shoot you know every 10 seconds, and I want each shot to be you know keep the shutter open for 3 seconds at a time or whatever you choose to set it up and it's pretty straightforward you just plug it in like a regular remote trigger uh, set up the timing that you want on it uh, and let it go i will say that i haven't had 100% reliability with this and whenever this happened to me i, I googled around and it seems like this has happened with other people where i was actually in iceland a, a couple of years back and i wanted to, it was it was right in the middle of summer so it was the the midnight sun timing And I wanted to do a time-lapse photo of the sun as it kind of set, not really setting, but, you know, kind of goes down to the horizon, skims along, and comes back up. And so we were up on a beautiful bluff overlooking the ocean a little bit, and I set up the camera on the tripod, and I turned on the timer and let it go, shooting a frame every, I don't remember what it is, every 30 seconds or something like that. And we were just sitting around shooting. It was about, you know, one or two in the morning at that point, still completely light out. And just killing time, because I knew I was going to need about a couple hours of shooting this, and partway into this, I realized that that sound I'd been hearing of the shutter clicking on and off had stopped at some point. I was like, what's going on? And I, I ran over there, and it had just stopped, and there was no good reason for it. I started again, and it kept going, but there's in my in my wonderful time lapse of the uh, midnight sun not setting, there's about uh, a few minutes of, of lost time in there, so I don't have a good answer to that. Maybe they've fixed it since then, but I think that's probably your solution, and, and my only recommendation then is to just don't necessarily trust it because you might have to go back in and restart it manually. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, one other thing I will say is that that uh, that remote trigger that you can buy for Canon and the same thing for Nikon has a similar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you buy the branded ones, they're they're really expensive, way more than they should be, like 150 bucks for the uh, the Canon one. There are third party. Uh, options i haven't tried them but i hear that they work okay and they're substantially less expensive
0: yeah well yeah folks can do their own research to to get the best price on that stuff sarah france uh there's a question in here for you let me read it to you this is from lawrence Payne, and he says i'm going to alaska for a week in mid-july and it will rain what's the best way to protect my camera and lens
2: that's a good question. <laughs> stay out of the rain. We'll start with that
0: one. move <laughs> we'll to San Diego.
2: <laughs> oh wait, you're going to Alaska. Um, well, there, there's a couple ways. I mean, I I had a, a Mark II and a, and um, the Mark III is the same way. Some of the cameras actually are water sealed. So when I was in Ireland, I was shooting with a uh, Mark II, and I could go out in the rain and be okay, and wipe it down, and come back in and and be fine. And I think L-series lenses, um, if I remember correctly, were were kind of the other key to that. Um, but another way that that you can, of course, is, is just get the right bags, get the right equipment, make sure that you have a gigantic um, umbrella to kind of shield you, and just it always helps to have an assistant, somebody to help you keep your stuff dry and to keep you dry while while shooting. Um, that's a that's about all I know about rain. You have to keep in mind, I live in Southern California. We don't really see much of that around here.
0: Like, what's this <laughs> rain stuff you speak of? Yeah,
2: yeah, I usually hide when it rains. It's kind of uh, my my tactic. Well, let's,
0: let's flip that over to somebody who lives in Seattle. <laughs> well, I know there's a fair amount of. Moisture from
1: the sky, uh, Ron. What would you do to protect your your camera? I, the sun is shining today. I have no complaints. <laughs> uh, I think you know what what, what Sarah said is you as you move up the the range of camera bodies, you get better weather sealing. So ideally, you you've gotten up uh, you know for on the Canon line, the uh, you know forty D, fifty D is sort of the mid range, and those aren't weather sealed. If you go up to, the, I'm pretty sure the five D and certainly the real high end ones have better wet, weather sealing on them. Uh, and and certain lenses are better for that as well. I you know I've I've shot in a bunch of fairly gnarly uh, circumstances and uh, I'm not too paranoid about it. I, the cameras even even shooting like with my 40D, which is not weather sealed, I have not had a problem. Even though I've shot right next to waterfalls with a lot of spray coming off, you just kind of take care of it uh, generally. And then of course, if you really want to get, there's a lot of solutions for. Different housings, if you want to go that extreme, or just rain covers and all that. I think it's mostly just being sensible about it. Um, One little thing that I tend to do is just shoot with a baseball cap on. So when I do have the thing up to my my face, it's sort of blocking some of the rain as well. Yeah. But there's a whole range of of options depending on how much you want to spend and and how far you want to go. Uh, But I would say you know don't. It's a very tough call, and you don't want to be without a camera. But they are pretty good, and you know I would hate to not get a shot just because I was afraid of getting a little bit of moisture on the exterior. Yeah.
0: And I would, I would say I would add to that just in what I keep in my bag all the time because I have what nine gazillion pockets uh, in any one camera bag that I have just throw some hefty um, food storage bags bags in there. You know, the big ones, the Ziploc ones and break a little hole in it for your lens to poke through and in a pinch that'll keep your body dry the camera body dry at least and you can get at least get some shots off um without worrying about frying your gear so and it costs a couple bucks in the grocery store so definitely think about that um a question in here for me then i'll read uh, and this will be a quick answer and then we'll roll on to picks of the week uh kevin hackworth wants to know about lightroom performance and ram he says I'm running the current version of Lightroom, version 2.4, he believes. he says, it, as well as the previous version, seem to be sluggish at times. Will upgrading my RAM increase performance? I currently have one gigabyte, and I tend to multitask whenever I'm on the computer. So my answer to that is yes. (laughs) So give more RAM. One gig is... uh, not enough just a ram is relatively cheap compared to the time that you spend working on any one ph- photo in lightroom and uh you know if you're you're developing raw photos you're going to want the peak sort of from click to when you drag those sliders, you want the, the fastest response time that you could possibly get. Buying more RAM for your computer is a wise investment in the time that you'll have to wait for those changes to update. So I would definitely suggest heading over to uh, one of the uh, online RAM sites and buying some RAM. So let's move on to picks of the week. Um, Sarah, I know you may not be familiar with this segment, but this is where we talk about uh, each guest on the show or each host in the show will talk about uh, what they think is a significant either website, product, or uh, service, etc., that the TWIP listeners might want to know about. So I'll kick it to Ron Brinkman first so you can noodle on it a little bit, Sarah, (laughs) before we move over to you.
1: So, Ron, what is your pick of the week? Sure. So my pick this week is a little accessory called the Gary Fong Puffer Pop Up Flash Diffuser. What? uh, uh, What?
0: What's the name (laughs) of that again?
1: It's the Gary Fong Puffer Pop Up Flash Diffuser. What (laughs) it is is a little. I'll I'll even for those of you that are that are following along at home on on the video side of things, I'll even show you what it is. I know everybody listening to the audio podcast can't see it, but it's this little piece of plastic as well as a bracket. That goes with it, and they sort of fit together like this. And then it just slides on to the top of your SLR where the, the hot shoe is, and it just sort of hovers this piece of plastic in front of the flash. And really all it is is just a nice, easy diffuser to put on your pop-up flash so that if you are in a scenario where you have to use that pop-up flash, and I try to avoid that as much as possible, but if you're in someplace where you just don't have enough light, you don't have an external flash you're carrying around, um, it's a very lightweight, and reasonably cheap thing, it's about uh, $20 on Amazon, to just kind of toss in your bag. And uh, it just it takes the, the very harsh light that you get off a flash and really does a pretty good job of diffusing it, pushing it out and stuff. And again, it's just just for the pop-up flash. It's designed to fit on a variety of cameras with a little bit of adjustability as long as your hot shoe is sort of centered above the pop-up flash. So it doesn't work as well. I mean, on my uh, my little Lumix camera, the hot shoe is... Offset from it, so when it sits on, the, you know, it'll sit there, with the uh, the pop up flash is over here. But it uh, it does a pretty good job, and like I said, it's a quick and easy thing to just toss into your bag.
0: Now, now looking at the looking at it from the strobist side of things, where you know David Hobby is a big fan of using found things around the house and, and using man made or homemade light modifiers. Twenty uh, something dollars for a little tiny piece of plastic. Can you do that with? I don't know. Oh, s- some absolutely. other piece of plastic laying around the house?
1: You, you absolutely could, and I, I am as big an advocate of that as anybody. I've, you know, shot in a lot of places where I wanted to diffuse my flash a little bit, just get a little bit of extra light into the scene. I've done everything from, you know, cupping my hand over it to try to use it as a pseudo bounce to uh, taking the drink off a, a, you know, a soft drink lid or something and yeah. putting it in front of there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done that kind of stuff a lot, and it's an a totally sensible thing to do. Holding a piece of tissue paper up over your flash, even. Right. Uh, the reason I like this is, is it is, you know, when, when you when you get into that mode, you tend to be then shooting with one hand trying to hold whatever device you have, and the other hand, uh, trying to trying to actually shoot the picture. And you know, it can be cumbersome. And the nice thing about this is, it just sort of sits on there. So I, w- I would use this if I'm at a party, for instance. I have a camera. I don't want to be kind of juggling that and it just sort of sits on there and does a nice diffusion and it does a pretty good job.
0: Yeah. I would, I would say for that, I mean, if you're a hobbyist and you're just running around taking pictures for yourself, you probably want to go the home homemade route route because you know, uh, it's cheaper, you're not burning money, but, uh, if you're a professional and you're running around shooting uh, events for a client, you probably don't want to be hanging a piece of toilet paper in front of your flash. You know, if they're paying you thousands and thousands of dollars to capture this event and you're using a piece of toilet paper from the restroom. Um, yeah, to but modify if, your if, you,
1: light. if you're a pro, you're hopefully actually working with a real flash and you can do real bounce lighting and that kind of stuff too. But. And uh, you, you know, can afford
0: the 25 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it costs, right?
1: Yeah, you know, for me at 20 bucks it's it's sort of a convenient sort of thing. I've got a lot of other silly little things that have cost as much that are just sort of that that convenience factor. Uh, I, again, it's the kind of thing where this is this is ripe for some some cheap knockoff to come out that's, you know, 99% as good that costs uh, 10% of the price, but in the meantime it wasn't it's not too bad at 20 bucks and yep. it, you know, it's proved useful. Sarah France, do you have a? Yeah. Pick?
2: Oh, I've got so many. I'm trying to decide which one to share. Actually, <laughs> you can only share one. <laughs> okay, darn. Is that a site? He gave a product. Can I give a site? You is can. Okay, Absolutely. good. As Long as it's not um, the one I'm gonna pick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, then I won't pick the one that I think you might pick. How's that? How's okay, that? Sound? Go for it. Um, So I think this time of year, it's busy wedding season for us. Probably one of my my top picks is uh, Shoot.Edit, which is a company it's Shoot.Edit.com. And they are incredible at helping you um, get through wedding season. So basically what they are is a company that you send your images to. And they will process your raw images into um, JPEGs. And they've just kind of introduced this new service, which is really cool, where they send you back XMPs that you can just marry up with your uh, raw images and you have processed images. So when we get too busy and we've got a lot of work, we want to send their way and get images out to clients quickly. It's an awesome way to be able to do that and handle Wedding season and still have a life. <laughs> Very
0: cool. That's shoot dot edit the the spell out D O T, not shoot. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Very cool. That was an excellent pick, Sarah. France. Thank you. Uh, my pick of the week is also sort of a website, but also an application. Uh, you may have heard of a company called Animoto, A N I M O T O. But uh, essentially, they're a service that let you let you upload a bunch of photos or pointed at an online photo sharing account and it will suck those photos in and do a bunch of MTV style animations to a soundtrack of your choosing from their, their, their music library and output a really cool animated hip kind of music video of those images. Uh, With the free account, you can then take that at at whatever size they give you and embed that in, say, your Facebook or your website or something like that, but they have a pro account that will give you a high-resolution, I think it's even HD-quality video file that you can then take in and edit, put in Final Cut Pro, burn to a DVD for your clients or whatever. The cool piece of it is they just released support for the iPhone. Now, they've had iPhone support before in an application, Um, or in the application, but they added to that application the ability to synchronize or bring your creations downstream back to the iPhone so that you can play them for people even if you don't have an internet connection. So it basically just syncs those productions in an iPhone version down to your device that you can then play for folks when you're uh, trying to show off your work. So uh, it's pretty cool. If you haven't played with it, it's free. Give it a try. Um, And if you're a pro, you know, consider signing up for their Pro account and uh, get the high-resolution version of the file. That was, if you heard that, that was Colleen in the background, who's, by the way, giving me sign language, and it's her birthday. Our producer, is, is your official title, producer? She's throwing up her hands. Uh, her official title is something. She runs the show, switching the cameras and all that magic, but she just turned... Twenty three today. So if Woo! you're listening along in the chat room or in the stream, please find a way to wish Colleen a happy birthday today. She's saying she's old, which makes me that means I've been reincarnated at least once or twice now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to the end of this week in photography. Uh episode, I forget what episode we're on. Uh ninety six, I think. Um, But uh, thank you, Sarah France, for taking the time out of your Monday to sit down with us live on camera, your debut on the show. I hope you'll come back again.
2: I would love to come back again. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast
0: anytime and ron brinkman your debut on video so now people know that you are not as bald as your twitter (laughs) avatar says you are does grow back yes it grew back when did you take that photo i'm looking at it right now what's uh, a couple
1: years ago it was before i would i I was spending a month in south america i forgot to go with low maintenance and i will say you know i found out that your your head gets a lot colder whenever you don't have hair
0: uh, I don't know. Mine, mine seems pretty warm. But uh, i got to say the hair, the, uh, the full hairdo that you have now is much better than the, um, the Dr. Evil look that you had back then. <laughs> cool. So, uh, Sarah, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or the stuff that you're working on?
2: Um, they can go to SarahFrance.com and they can also go to my blog, which is WhereInTheWorldIsFrance.com.
0: Excellent. And Mr. Ron Brinkman, where can people find you? On the Twitters, Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Two N's at the end of that. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Frederick Van or at my website that I have just relaunched again at frederickvan.com. And with that, that brings us to the end of the show. It's time to take that lens cap off and go out and shoot.